You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Hello. I am the Jeff that Jimmy mentioned. Can you guys hear me okay? All right. Um... Cool. Okay. Well, someone did send out an email that uh, said that I was supposed to come up and say something tonight. So I am here to do that. Um, I am a little bit of a news junkie. Anyone else get a little bit of addicted to looking at news sites a little too much? Not the healthiest thing (laughs) in the world to do. I know. Ugly stuff. Uh, But I did find a story that oddly related to tonight's topic. I'm going to tell it as quickly as I can. There were, uh, so a couple years ago, uh, there were some students that were headed to Louisville for uh, a protest. A very heated summer that, uh, as you recall, for a couple years ago. They were actually students from University of Kentucky in Lexington. Lexington, sort of a progressive, very highly educated city in Kentucky. They were headed over uh, for protests. Um, and there were about four or five cars in their caravan. They weren't really behind each other, but they all sort of left and, you know, generally on their way. The, the lead car uh, broke down. The engine just sort of stopped, and they drifted over to the berm in, in Shelby County, Kentucky, which is in between Lexington and Louisville. And uh, so, you know, bummer, but they texted their friends who were theoretically behind them. And the friends did not reply. <laughs> They're like, don't just leave us stranded here, right? So uh, not until much later that the friend replied and say, uh, dude, we're already in Louisville. And, we're, and it's, by the way, this is like 10 o'clock at night. So a little, little bit nerve-wracking. Um, and, and basically a quote from, uh, from one of the college students basically said, at that point, uh, someone in a pickup truck uh, pulled in front of them on the berm, and then started backing up towards them. Um, Oh, I did forget an important detail. If any of you ever have had, uh, you know, gone to the state tournament and take that paint and mark all over your windows like we're number one, or, you know, (laughs) they had that kind of stuff, only they didn't have that. Uh, As you can imagine, they had things like Black Lives Matter, defund the police on their windows kind of feel it amping up here (laughs) a little bit. So the pickup truck started backing up, and uh, the the college student said, at that point, you know, the taillights, we could kind of see, yes, the the sticker, MAGA, Make America Great, and uh, a little bit more, they could see the, the Blue Lives Matter sticker on the window beside the gun rack. And a guy got out of the pickup, Yes, he had the red hat on. <laughs> and how do you feel? How do you think those college students were feeling at that moment? A little nervous. Um, so what happened? The guy said, um, "I have a friend. He actually has a, a garage at the next exit. Um, hop in. I'm going to take you there. It's it's closed, but he has a tow truck. So you know, still a little trepidatious." <laughs> They kind of got in the guy's, you know, double cab thing. Um, went to the next exit. It was one of those tiny exits that had like one gas station, one hotel. Um, so they, they, they dropped the car off, 
he takes them over to the hotel, wishes them well. Whew, okay, that, that was good. The next morning, they get up, and they're saying, all right, we got to go over to the garage and see if this dude's really going to you know, fix our car or not. As they were leaving, um, the, the night desk person said, oh, by the way, your bill has been paid. And they were like, I, was it that guy? Like they did, she didn't really say who, <laughs> who it was. They walk across the street to the, uh, you know, gas station slash garage thing, and turns out it takes a couple hours, you know, to get the thing up and running. But they do, uh, or they, the mechanic gets a couple hours, and the bill is eight hundred ninety dollars. So they're you know texting mom and dad like, <laughs> send money. <laughs> um, the mechanic says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Shepard, who was the guy's name apparently, he's paid your bill. He paid. There you go. <laughs> what was that roller coaster of feelings right there? Um, and so that's a little crazy. Sound familiar? Good. I made that whole story up, by the way. <laughs> I did. You know why? I wanted to have a little tinge of feeling that you might have felt in Jesus' day when he told the story of the Good Samaritan. So I, I'm sorry I did that to you. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. All right. <laughs> let, me, let me back up just a second. I love this series. I love the whole parable thing. Um, it's so brilliant. Um, the power of story to stick in human beings' mind. Our brains are wired to remember stories. And it's certainly helpful when your audience in Jesus' time was 97, 98% illiterate. But that's stuff that, you know, and the provocative nature of these, you know, this is what we lose. I wish I could go into that Men in Black movie and get the little flashy thing. It like wipes your memory if you've seen that movie. Because I'd like to hear these stories for the first time. I grew up in the church. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the, the Good Samaritan story. Um, but when you put those ears on, you know, that sort of first time here version of it, um, it, it can really unsettle you. And I'll talk more about that here in a second. Um, I did want to let you know this Good Samaritan story really only shows up in the book of Luke. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> I know I've read it a thousand times, but, you know, some of them show up in multiple Gospels. This one's only in Luke, and, and the, a lot of scholars think it's because, you know, every Gospel writer had a purpose, you know, sort of an angle for what they were writing. Luke wrote a, a little bit later, and by then the church was spreading into Gentile territory and Jewish territory. And so there was part of his purpose was to try to unify um, these groups and sort of ratchet down the difference. And so this was a story that he, he included um, so that it could sort of, you know, portray some of that. Uh, Jen, I think you have the actual, this is, yeah, let's do, let's do a mic here. Here, I'll give, you, I'll give you mine. This is a real version, by the way, not the fake one. <laughs> on one occasion, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged, bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right. Um, let's get into the, the, the purpose of the story, right? So you just heard it. Um, the lawyer was like, how? A lot of people don't even sort of remember the first part, which this whole thing was initiated by the expert in the law, the lawyer, saying, what do I got to do to inherit life? I just want to be sure. <laughs> so Jesus responds, well, you know, dude, you're an expert in the law. What is it? What do you think it says? And he replies, he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18, love God with everything that you are, and then love others uh, as yourself. So the guy's like, and basically Jesus says, like, go do that. <laughs> That's it. Go, go, go do that. And so I can sort of picture the guy like, like, okay, good. Uh, who's my neighbor again? And that is pop the cork that unleashes, you know, the real purpose of what Jesus is telling in this story. Um, by the way, do you remember another quick parable? Actually, it wasn't a parable. It was a, it was a, a story in the Bible. Uh, the rich young ruler did the same thing, didn't he? He had to stop for a second. He wanted to justify himself and said, you know, what do I do, need to do to be saved? So very interesting that multiple stories like that. So let's interpret this just for a second. Good Samaritan is probably one of the most well-known biblical phrases that the, the, the broader culture, you know, thinks they know. Um, in Western culture, at least. And now it's probably so familiar that we've, we, many, many people have lost its, <laughs> lost its like sting that the original hearers did. So the story has actually been appropriated in a number of ways. One is, you know, actually there was a message on don't travel dangerous highways alone. I don't think that <laughs> quite. The, uh, one, one person used it to support universal health care. Like the dudes are good. But probably the most uh, popular, you know, understanding of it in pop culture, if you will, is to help those who are hurt and helpless. Don't just walk by somebody who is, you know, uh, in need of assistance. And as a matter of fact, that's the underlying theme of these Good Samaritan laws. Like, actually, people have passed laws to say you must help people, which kind of defeats the purpose of <laughs> probably the story. Um, but sociologists, there's probably a reason for it. Sociologists will point to the need for a cultural level reciprocity sort of value. This isn't unique to, you know, uh, Judaism or Christianity, that sort of angle. Everyone feels like if I help another person, somehow the culture, I'm feeding into that, and then somehow somebody else will help me when I need help. So it's a... <coughs> 
excuse me, it's a little like karma, isn't it? It's like you sort of feed into it, get something back. However, to understand Jesus' intent, particularly why the Samaritan was the hero of the story, we're going to have to dig into these Samaritans. Um, now, some of you know this. Um, <clears throat> bear with me, but I think it's worth repeating. <coughs> Excuse me. Who are the Samaritans? Why did Jesus select one of them as the hero of the story? There's some people that even get mixed up that the person in the ditch was the Samaritan. That's not the case. The Samaritan was the hero. Um, Samaritans, if you know the history, they claim descent from the same Jewish um, ancestry, going all the way back to Abraham, Moses. But around the year uh, 626 to 609 BCE, if you remember, the Assyrians came and just wiped out the kingdom of Israel and carted off the majority of Jewish people to what later became Babylon. Babylon then took over. It's, it's, you can't keep track of who's conquering who sometimes. And, but that's what happened. So the majority of Jewish people, I mean, this was just devastating. They just took them all out, took them captive, moved them over to Assyria, then Babylon. But there was a remnant of Jewish people left, particularly in the northern part of the kingdom. And those are the folks who became the Samaritans. And it's, it's like a major historic fork in the road for the faith, right? Judaism, as we understand it now, was documented, developed, written down from that diaspora of Jewish people in Babylon, and then brought back into Israel when they came back about 100 years later. So if you remember Ezra, Nehemiah, rebuilding the temple, all that kind of fun stuff. But the Samaritans are like, whoa, we've been here. We didn't go anywhere. We're the, we're the real deal now. And so this thing sort of bifurcated <laughs> into two different faiths. The Samaritans only believe really in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, uh, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, but, but that's about it. Maybe a tiny little fraction of other Jewish scripture. Uh, of course, other, you know, the, the prophets, you know, all the sort of rich history and other things we have in the Old Testament, they're like, nope, that's not legit. But the main thing was that the Samaritans claimed that the true place of worshiping God, the only legit place, was on Mount Gerizim, which is straight north of, up in the mountains uh, from Jerusalem. So Jerusalem's sort of in the south, Mount Gerizim up here. And so if you were a you know, practicing, highly religious Jewish person, and someone saying, you know, the place to worship God isn't Jerusalem, it's here. Those are fighting words. <laughs> That's not cool to, uh, to practicing Jewish people. Um, and you saw that. with You remember that when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, um, she was like, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman? Like, she was just flabbergasted that he would even talk to her. She probably wasn't real thrilled to talk back to him. <laughs> and she goes, how can you even ask me for a drink? Like it was that bad, right? And the final thing that just really separated these folks was um, the ones who stayed behind, sort of intermixed um, with other people in the, in the area. And so there was like an ethnic difference by the time the, the return happened. And so that was another reason to other the Samaritans if, if you're a Jewish person there. 
Uh, quick, quick side note, I won't get into this, but apparently, according to the BBC anyway, <laughs> there's about 800 Samaritans left in the world. They're very tiny. Uh, they have not necessarily thrived in the modern, modern era, but it was, it was a fascinating article if you get a chance to look it up. So they were more than simply outcasts, Samaritans were. They were despised enemies. Um, the audience, just like maybe you felt a little anxiety, maybe even anger, like, ugh, about the hero of the story that I told you, they felt major anxiety, anger, disgust, maybe. Notice the lawyer, when he, when he answered Jesus' last question, Jesus said, who was being a neighbor to the injured man in the ditch? He couldn't even say the Samaritan. What did he say? He said, the one who helped him. So, eh, not, you know, more than awkward. So, why did Jesus have to go out and tick off the audience? <laughs> He's supposed to win them over, not tick them off. But he was always kind of tweaking them a little bit. Uh, he could have at least made the hero of the story maybe a poor Jewish Nazarene or something. That would have been okay. Still maybe a little offensive. But why did he do this? I believe there are three reasons one is Jesus was always obliterating the lines around humanity about who was included and who was elevated. He did that time and time and time again. And so this story was another, you know, bang on the wall of division and otherness by doing this. Second, Jesus made it clear that love, loving your neighbor, is action. You know, the guy didn't get over there and like you know, try to convince him to be a Samaritan. <laughs> he just like healed his wounds, like bandaged him up, took him to the inn, paid for, you know, some food and, and helped the guy out. So love in action is a key theme. And third, this is kind of a big one. It helps us accept our position in God's kingdom in terms of hierarchy and humility. In other words, the obliteration of hierarchy in God's kingdom and our own humility and dependence even on an enemy to help us. In other words, God worked through a hated enemy to help this person. All right, so not surprisingly, if you've read many of Jesus' teaching, they're very holistic. They kind of constantly point at each other. So the Good Samaritan story extends this love your neighbor as yourself part. That was the answer that the lawyer gave. And it extends it into love your enemies, uh, which is mentioned in Luke 6, Matthew 5, all those places. So you're, I'm going to flip this a little bit. It's actually a little two messages in one. Don't worry, I'll still be done on time, Jimmy. <laughs> um, for many of us, we've heard that, that love your enemy stuff so often, much like the Good Samaritan, that it sort of, you know, it kind of bounces. I, I remember when I probably first heard it, my mom would like, now, don't hate the little boy who kicked you off the swing, <laughs> or love your brother. Okay. <laughs> that, that, I, and I couldn't even pull that off, you know, <laughs> much less a real enemy. But um, for many of us, we've heard that, but there's such a radicalness to what Jesus was saying. Think about this for a second. In Jesus' time in Jerusalem and all the surrounding villages, there were a lot of historical and current enemies, like right there, right? You've got the Roman soldiers milling around. 
You've got these tax collectors, which are Jewish people in cahoots with the oppressors, stealing your money, giving it to the Romans so that they could keep some. All these ethnic groups around them, including the Samaritans. So enemies was like a real thing to these folks. It wasn't sort of a theoretical thing. Um, so when, they, when, when Jesus said Samaritan, there's just this bubbling up of like, ugh, just, I hate this. What are you talking about? Why in the world would you include them? We don't often feel that because so much of our you know, perceived enemies are sort of out there and they're kind of theoretical. However, what's been happening the last several years? This stuff's becoming real for us, isn't it? It's becoming like in our face. Uh, we got a Supreme Court who has been taking away rights. We've got people that we love in our families who put a president in place, who put those people in place. It, it, it's not just like, hey, I'm going to go and like bite my lip for three hours at Thanksgiving. <laughs> this is like, you people are really hurting me. Like, why? What are you doing? And so we're now feeling this resistance. I mean, we see it every day in, in social media. So, um, you know, hopefully my little tricky story at the beginning got you to feel some of that. But in reality, you're probably feeling it every day, recently, at least. Um, so, even then, we're not quite to where Jesus' audience was. Because even with all of that, which is really difficult, and, and for some people incredibly difficult, um, we'd have to ask people who have been seriously harmed, physically, emotionally, in many ways, ask a Syrian refugee, ask a Ukrainian orphan, um, ask anyone in the Rohingya people in Myanmar. I mean, just massive enemies, crushing people. Ask a mother in North Philly, you know, who maybe lost a child to gunfire. Like, now ask them to love their enemy. Hard, very hard. An enemy is one who truly hurts you. So Jesus, as he always did and still does, elevates us to an entirely different view of humanity uh, in the kingdom of God. There's no way to love those people without an entirely different perspective. So the story, the Good Samaritan story, is a challenge to raise above that interpersonal, like me to you, sort of plane, and to elevate at a higher level. Um, only a level that Jesus enabled um, that's eternal, it's spirit-led, it's spirit-filled, and it's Jesus-redeemed. Like, there's no way to really get to that place without that. So what, what do I mean by that? Um, many of you have heard this Galatians 5 verse, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, uh, male or female, you're all one in Christ Jesus. Wow. People have heard that, right? That verse is not an attempt, as it's sometimes portrayed, to say we really have no meaningful differences uh, or qualities or unique perspectives, like all that. We're just kind of one blob of people. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. Um, these differences are very real, and we experience the realities you know, in our world. We, we see that clearly. 
But what it does mean is that in terms of worth, value, equality, uh, access to justice, access to salvation, there is no hierarchy in, in God's kingdom through Jesus. It's, it's, it's radical. Now, we could add a lot of other categories to that list, right? Like, you know, just think in your mind who you feel like you're in this group and someone else is in that group. Every contrast of boundaries creates a little rise in our blood pressure if we insert that group into the Good Samaritan story. I mean, you could literally say the good MAGA person, the good fill-in-the-blank. And if I was talking to a conservative group, I'd put a lot of you in. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's, it's ugh, don't want that. So how is it possible how is it possible to love these enemies or these opposites in contrast to ourselves? Jesus made it possible with a twist on that societal need for reciprocity. Like, we really do need that. Like, we need to have some feeling like, why am I going to show up and be a decent person? You know, because I, I want somebody to be decent to me. But Jesus put a twist in it. There's a new player in the mix, and it's God. It's God. And it creates a triangle. Now it's not me to you or me to them. It's me, them, God. And the trust in that sort of reciprocity is shifted to God to care for me, to bring me justice. I don't have to trust that person per se for these needs. And in many ways, that cracks open a whole set of possibilities. There's a new player. So what this does is it creates an integrated spiritual, physical kingdom. You know, it's the whole thing of God's kingdom invading our world. And so it creates a whole new set of dynamics and possible uh, creative solutions and new rules to, uh, to live by, which are not the same as the law. This makes it possible for these other crazy things Jesus said. <laughs> you know, you've, you've heard the Beatitudes, you've heard the, all these sayings. You know, if someone asks you for a coat, give them two. I mean, I'm, I would be hard to give them the one. <laughs> um, sleep in your neighbor's house for a night? No, let them stay two nights. Like, Jesus just pushed it. And the reason he did was because he wasn't trying to operate in the same realm. That's the new wineskins thing, right? So this makes us squirm. It makes me squirm. And that's a good thing because what that means, it's a sign that hopefully I'm changing. It's like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon into this new interconnected spiritual, physical, fused kingdom that God is building. That's where we live. That's where Jesus is telling us to go. But you still have to ask, all right, we want some radical stuff here, but why specifically is loving an enemy including one laying in a ditch uh, and being a neighbor to that person, so important to Jesus. I'd like to uh, pull in a voice <laughs> uh, that's like a superhero of mine since I was young. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King gave a, a, a message called Loving Your Enemies, and he made a tradition of giving it every single year. He'd tweak it a little bit. He gave this one that we're about to hear. This is a very, very short clip. Uh, back in his church at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I 
was so blessed to have visited that church with my family. And um, you have to put, put yourself there for a second. Um, if you've ever been to Montgomery, <laughs> the big, giant, intimidating, uh, white-stoned state capitol is at the top of the hill. It's called Goat Hill. And it looks down just one block to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Like, it's like in its shadow. And so it's the biggest, like, uh, David and Goliath setup <laughs> that you could physically, you know, so put, put together. So that's the context. Uh, let's hear what Dr. King had to say. By the way, he was 26 years old when that bus boycott happened. But listen to it, it's just like a minute. I hope you could hear that okay. <laughs> he, he was basically saying, at that very weakest moment when your, your enemy could be squashed by you or, or someone, that is the very time to love your enemy in an active way. And if you heard his transition there, he, he talked about an evil system. So what he's, you know, as you know from the civil rights era and the movement, relentless fighting and persistent, powerful resistance to segregation, inequality, um, but almost like an equal, powerful commitment to love the individuals that they were protesting against. Uh, it's, it's, it gives me goosebumps to think about. But there's also a strategic reason to do that. It's not just, okay, well, fight like hell to break this thing, and then just go be nice to it. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. Active love is transformative to that individual who, by the way, is propping up that evil system that you're also trying to fight against. So it's transformative, like it's eating away at the system, at the foundation. So if we hear the Good Samaritan story, and uh, if we feel it in our bones like Jesus did, I'm sorry, Jesus' audience did, you know, it won't, it won't let us walk by the world's rules anymore. It's like, who's our neighbor? It's the person that irritates you the most. It's the one who may have the potential to hurt you the most. 
and it's not cooperating with their oppression. Certainly we saw that from Dr. King and the movement. It's, it's fighting that, but it is loving the people actively who are making that system a, a real thing. The people trying to take away your rights, the enemies, are ones we must love. Okay? So um, there's one final piece, and then I'll, I'll end for maybe if we have time for talk back. Um, this story humbles us and gives us a more realistic understanding of our position in this kingdom. Because, you know, it's possible for, to love our enemies and for us to be transformed through that process. It's not just transforming them, it's transforming us. Um, like I said, a Jewish person could have been the hero of that story. And, you know, honestly, a lot of times in the sort of white church, we like to be the heroes. We like to be that sort of savior complex. And I, uh, I cringe sometimes thinking about how many times you try to help and you're the one being helped because you're in that process. You're the one being humbled. You're the one realizing, like, there's so much bigger stuff going on here. That's true vulnerability. And if Jesus had made any Jewish person the hero, that would have been missed. And we need to hear that because we're the audience now for this story. So just to wrap it up, uh, the Good Samaritan parable gives us three fundamental challenges. One is to redraw the line around humanity, to include and elevate everyone, yes, including enemies. Love is action. You don't have to like, you don't have to agree. You certainly don't have to agree <laughs> with a lot of folks that you may be called to love. And third, it challenges our humility because it gives up our status as a hero and, and it challenges us to receive help from the enemy. We can do this because God's now in the mix, that, that God triangle thing. So, thanks for listening. This is an amazing story like all these are. I appreciate it. Do we have time for talk back? Or Yeah, we're cool. All right. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.